to Around the Homestead podcast, where we share information on topics from gardens to goats. Our aim is to provide small farmers and landowners valuable education on projects that may arise around the homestead. Whether you have been on the homestead all your life or you have just began the farm lifestyle, we hope you garner helpful tips to make your rural lifestyle most rewarding. Now here are our hosts, Brad McGinley and Sean Rhodes. Well, hello and welcome to our latest edition of the Around the Homestead podcast. I'm your co-host, Brad McGinley. I've got my fellow county extension agent and co-host, uh, Sean Rhodes. He's over in Scott County. How's the garden looking, Sean? Well, it's starting to uh, look a little bit better, actually. <laughs> A little bit warmer weather. Uh, can't say that it's drier though, but uh, the warm weather has helped the gardening so far this year. But uh, it does seem that everybody's quite a, quite late with the most of their gardening. Yeah, I would agree. It's the same here in uh, in Grant County in Central Arkansas. We've had so much wet weather. It's certainly uh, hampered everybody getting their their garden in for the year. But uh, that's what we want to talk about today, because you know the one of the well, I would say the the most common question we get as county extension agents this time of year pertains to tomatoes. Everybody wants to grow a tomato, and everybody uh, always has their fair share of tomato issues throughout the growing season, and we want to address some of these tomato issues today. And uh, you know, the most common issue that we see in the office, Sean, they always get this call is I've got blight on my tomatoes and what do I do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Brad, you hear that, hear that described in various different ways. Uh, you always kind of know it's probably all the same thing, but, uh, I have always heard people say they fire up from the bottom up. Uh, you hear that a lot turning yellow at the bottom and it's going through it, killing all the leaves. Uh, those are indicative of fungal problems. And most of the time, this time of year and just a little bit on, it's already blight, as you said. And uh, so that's, uh, that is something that has to be addressed. Uh, it is one thing that I have found that it's just, uh, almost impossible to go through a season of growing tomatoes without that issue coming up unless you take precautionary measures throughout the growing season. Yeah, you know, that's uh, the old saying is, uh, what is it, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's certainly the case in this situation. And so um, what would be your recommendation for you know, helping solve some of that early blight issue uh, early on? Uh, you know, I guess the first thing, just kind of off key here is no overhead irrigation for one thing. Uh, you know, don't be, uh, don't be sprinkling your tomatoes. Uh, don't be spraying them <laughs> with the water hose every day. Uh, have some type of drip uh soaker hose or something like that as far as irrigation might go now that could be a that's kind of a preventative thing that will help you some but uh as you get on into it and even as you do some of those things our humidity is just going to lend 
enough moisture for those uh, those fungal problems to arise. And uh, as they do, like you say, the about the only preventative measure that will work is a regular routine of uh, fungicide applications to your to your plants, Brad. Yeah, you know most you know we we get a lot of times we'll get you know uh, samples bring into the office and we'll or we'll get a picture emailed or text message to us and you know we can pretty much identify that it is probably early blight because like of the some of the symptoms you said earlier plants start dying from the bottom up and leaves have you know uh, yellowing uh, you got some uh, you know some some spots on the leaves as well but. Uh, you know, we can recommend, you know, daconil or the active ingredient as chlorothionyl. That will help some of the new growth, but it's not going to solve the problem of what's already diseased. So anything that you can do to help prevent spread of disease in the garden will certainly help prevent that moving forward. Um, overhead irrigation is, you know, we can't help mother when mother nature makes it rain on us. We enjoy the rain, especially, you know, midsummer, but, uh, uh, if we can avoid that overhead irrigation this time of the year, that, that will certainly help. Um, you know, another issue that we see a lot of times, Sean, um, later in the season as the, as, you know, as the tomato, as the fruit's already starting to develop is a blossom end rot. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get that call, uh, every year you can count on it. And, uh, I have seen this be a problem. I've seen this be a problem and it just go away as soon as it came with people. And uh, it is really a, uh, a physiological condition. It's actually not a virus or a bacterial type uh, pathogen that's doing the blossom end rot. But when your tomatoes start getting ripe and they rot at the bottom, everybody will say, well, they're just about to get ripe and they're rotting at the bottom. And they're not any good. Uh, this is blossom end rot, and uh, it is caused by the plant uh, being in a state that it cannot uh, take up enough calcium. And uh, this can, a lot of times, it's from uneven watering, uneven moisture levels on those plants. Let's say it's been, uh, you know, if you're, uh, let's say if you're not irrigating and you're just got them in the garden and it's been dry for a while those tomatoes were making it hadn't rained in a couple weeks and then you get a big rain uh you're almost guaranteed to see it then because of that uneven watering i see a lot of people have trouble with it in containers because a container doesn't hold enough moisture and uh you have a lot of uneven moisture levels in that soil throughout the day even and uh that will uh that will lead to a lot of blossom end rot also. Uh, of course, some of the other cures for it are, uh, you know, having enough calcium in your soil when you plant, uh, you know, checking your pH and your calcium levels with a soil test and make sure you've got plenty of calcium. But even if you've got plenty, if you get into some big moisture swings, uh, you will still see it. But most of the time, it will go away after the first little flush there, and uh, everything evens out, and the plant catches up, and you start uh, seeing good tomatoes coming afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of times, also, we get questions about, you know, there are some products, liquid calcium products, these stop rots, uh, 
Um, I've never had just a whole lot of luck with those um, because a lot of times we're in a situation where we just can't, the, you know, plant get the uh, plant just can't get enough chaos. And what's your experience with those, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. You see a lot of them and a lot of people think it's going to help. But I, I tell them just to hold on, you know, do a little lime work. It's going to help you more in the long run, uh, a little more calcium work in your soil. Uh, I just don't know if enough can go in foliarly, you know, from those sprays to really do much good. Yeah. Yeah. That's been my experience as well. You know, another thing here, Sean, is uh, especially this time of the year, as people are kind of getting their plants in the ground and they're starting to grow pretty good. Well, we see every year, we, we always see uh, herbicide injury every year it's always going to happen we get two or three four calls a year about about herbicide injury and it's a it's a big thing you know using manure in your garden is great but uh you need to really know where your source of manure is coming from because it can really cause you some problems yeah yeah <laughs> come to think of it those things are growing fast now and this is the time it starts showing up and uh, <clears throat> If you see, if you've used manures and you see your plants start twisting up, especially on the new growth and those leaves start looking distorted, uh, you need to start suspecting some herbicide injury. Uh, again, I guess it's a disease in a way, but it's, it's more, it's physiological again. It's not caused by any pathogens. It's caused from uh, that injury that you're getting from a carryover in manures or hay or something like that uh you know also brad some uh, this is the time of year we start seeing these uh tomatoes come and they want to know what's wrong with them and they can't figure it out you know it's always that deal nobody can ever admit that they had some drift from using some glyphosate or something around the fence row or around the edge of the sidewalk or something like that around uh you start seeing that type of herbicide injury this time of year also. Yeah, that's my first question. When, when the wife brings uh, the plant into the office and says, what's wrong with my tomato plants? And then I get asking a question or two. And I said, have you sprayed anything? Well, my, my husband might have sprayed something. And then she goes home and comes back. Well, yeah, he did spray something. And, you know, she's not very happy with him because of that issue. But uh I've seen that happen more than once, but yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I've always said that you could walk past a tomato plant with an unopened jar of 2,4-D and it would just automatically wilt just because you, it was in the, in the vicinity. So uh, those are all issues. Uh, herb, uh, tomato plants are, are extremely sensitive to those herbicides. So what we're talking about in the manure, what happens is, is whenever uh, the cattle producer, the hay producer uses a herbicide. Usually it's Grazon P plus D. It's a great herbicide. We recommend it a lot, but uh, it has a great, the reason it works is it has a really good residual. And so when the animal consumes that hay that's been sprayed with Grazon, it passes directly through the animal and comes out in the manure. And whenever you use that manure or hay uh, in that, in your garden, uh, that herbicide residual is in there. And if you till that manure into your garden into your garden soil and then plant directly in that 
you're going to get some herbicide damage, particularly to tomatoes, uh, peppers, those kinds of plants. So just be real cautious about using manures in your garden. Uh, just make sure you know the source that it's coming from because it can really cause you some, some headaches in the long run uh, with that issue. Yeah, and like I had said in our first podcast, Brad, nobody ever wants to admit that they did it to themselves. <laughs> yeah. In these herbicide injury type cases, but <laughs> I've, I've walked around a lot of gardens with them like, well, nah, 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 I didn't do, you know, that wouldn't have done that or something like, you know. Yeah. So, yeah yeah it kind of has to soak in for a day or two I guess. yeah it does and, and you know i felt i've went out and made some visits and looked at some gardens before and i i, I felt really bad for the people because you yeah. know they've tilled that manure into their soil and you know it's going to be there and cause them some trouble for for several years to come and the only solution to that is you know either plant crops that are not sensitive to it or or move to a different spot till it kind of goes away and Yep. Sometimes that's not always a, uh, an option, you know, so, but, uh, anyways, uh, some other issues that, you know, we see a lot of times, uh, are spider mites, uh, spider mites seems to be pretty popular, particularly, you know, when we have long dry spells, a lot of times we get a good hard rain, it'll, you know, wash them off a lot of times, but if you've got some spider mites, it look like little, uh, small, I don't know, spiders is basically what they are. They'll make little webs in there. Um, you know, a good, a good spray of water, a good, uh, some insecticidal soap will usually wipe those out. But I tell you the, the, what always, you know, gets me Sean is the tomato hornworm. It, inevitably every year I'll walk out there in the garden and I'll have a tomato plant that's been completely stripped because of a tomato hornworm. Yeah. He's a, he's just camouflaged little dude that, sits there and grows and you don't know he's there until he gets big and he gets big overnight it seems like and he pretty well eats half of a plant thing and uh even when they're big they're hard to see uh you got to really stand there and look to see them on the stem uh <clears throat> but you do need to keep an eye out for them and keep those picked off if you yeah. start seeing them yeah, I've sit there for five minutes before staring at that plant. And I know that that dude is there. I can see, um, you know, I can see where he's been, but I can't, I can't find him. But when you do get them, if you take them to the chicken pen, those chickens like those tomato hornworms, they'll carry them around and chase each other around with them. They're, they're like a trophy. So, yeah. but uh, <laughs> anyways, but yeah, uh, tomato hornworms are certainly an issue. You might, the easiest way to just pick those off. And Sean's going to talk a little bit about a spray schedule later on in the, in the, uh, in the podcast here that'll help prevent some of these other things. You know, something else that, that, you know, a lot of times we get asked about, well, my tomato plants look really good, but I don't have any tomatoes on them. Um, particularly it happens, you know, after we, the temperature warms up during the middle of the summer, gets hot. Um, and, you know, once those nighttime temperatures get up to the mid seventies and the nighttime temperatures get up to the, you know, above 95, um, those plants uh, really kind of start shutting down on fruit production, Sean. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, once the nighttime temperatures get that warm, they, uh, they will quit setting their, <clears throat> their blossoms, uh, 
call it blossom drop, uh, pour fruit set, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they can, they'll bloom, they'll keep blooming, but those blooms never materialize into little uh, tomatoes. And the mere reason is it's too hot. It's too hot at night. And uh, not much you can do about that one, but it, it does uh, come up most of the time. A lot of people kind of get a little bit concerned about it. You know, that's, you're going to see it more on some of these indeterminates that people's keeping alive, you know, all year. Uh, tomatoes. Also, you'll see it on uh, some of your late planted tomato plants that's blooming that time, doing the majority of their blooming during the heat of the summer there in July. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's really not much you can do about that one, but uh, plant them early, you know, early enough that they make most of their tomatoes or have them set before then or after. Uh, you know, that's why we see a lot of people grow their, their late tomatoes. They will plant them about the 1st of July, and hopefully they'll be blooming later in the month towards August when the night times uh, usually cool off some. Yeah. Yeah, you know, some varieties may, some other varieties may, you know, some particular varieties may be a little bit more tolerant of those, those the uh, little bit warmer temperatures. But yeah, it's about, there's really nothing you can do when those situations happen. Some other issues that we see, you know, fruit cracking, a lot of times we see fruit cracking, uh, that's usually caused by, you know, what same issue we see blossom end rot uh, in, you know, inconsistent watering um can also lead to that and there's a variety of other all kinds of different tomato diseases out there that uh, we could get into but you know bacterial specks the bacterial wilts um a lot of leaf, some leaf spots southern blight there's 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 a a lot of those out there but we're not going to go into detail on each one of those but we would encourage you um uh, to contact your local county extension office uh you know get with them bring them a plant sample down there and they can usually help diagnose whatever issue that you're having um, a lot of times we can even diagnose over the you know if you can't make it to the office you can usually diagnose it over a photo if you can email or text a photo we usually can diagnose there and if we can't uh, diagnose it in the office uh, we have the plant disease clinic located in Fayetteville and we can uh, submit that sample either digitally or physical sample, we can mail a physical sample to the lab and we can you know, get you a diagnosis. Because with, with any kind of uh, issue like this, it's always important to know what your pest is before we can make an accurate recommendation. And and sending those off to the, to the plant disease lab is a completely free service and it's something that uh, we're happy to do for you. So be sure and take advantage of that. You know, we, Sean, we alluded to a little bit about some of the herbicides and fungicides that we could use to control some of these issues, but um, what would be your recommendation as far as a spray schedule would go um, uh, as far as a spray schedule on, you know, how to prevent some of these issues from happening? Okay. <clears throat> you know, first thing, uh, you made me think of something there. One, one thing that we do do when we're planting tomatoes is we, we are planting varieties nowadays that are resistant to a lot of these other things that we were talking about can happen. So 
<clears throat> I think everybody needs to realize that your modern, a lot of your modern day varieties will be resistant to a lot of those wilts uh, that can happen. Uh, and I think that's also where a lot of people, you know, growing heirlooms is very popular nowadays. And uh, sometimes you're liable to see more stuff happen to them because, uh, you know, they don't have that resistance that uh, some of these newer varieties do, Brad. And uh, we, uh, we just need to know that and up front that it can be an issue when you're growing heirlooms. Uh, I'm a great fan of heirlooms. I like eating them, uh, but uh, they can have more disease pressure on them. As far as spraying goes with any of them, yes, you need to start that spray schedule at planting. Uh, and it needs to be a combination of alternating some products throughout the spring and early summer there. Um, you know, we use, start off with a copper and uh, use it and uh, some of those and alternate them throughout the spring about every 10 days, 10 to 14 days, unless it comes a big rain, then you kind of start from day zero again, uh, as far as the fungicides go. And as we move closer to harvest, once you get some pretty good sized green tomatoes on, it's sometimes a fungicide will go to uh, what you had mentioned earlier, the old daconil. Uh, it has a, uh, smaller uh, harvest date from the time it was sprayed to when you can harvest. So we go to it then. And uh, also on the insecticide side, uh, you can add some malathion every, every two or three sprayings to help with some aphids and uh, things like that. But uh, like I say, the key is making a commitment that you're going to go spray those every every two weeks to 10 days. Uh, that's, that's really all it takes and just change those up. Look that, you know, get on our website. You can find tomatoes on there and find a lot of info on this. We're not gonna get in the weeds on products here today, but uh, the key is, is to make sure you got a plan and you stick to it and you'll, you'll reap the benefits of that with your tomatoes. Yeah, you mentioned our website, Sean. We have a uh, a wealth of information is on on this particular issue and a lot of other gardening topics on our website. Uh, that website is www.uada.edu. Uh, you click on Cooperative Extension Service and you can take you directly to uh, our extension webpage. And uh, there's a, a wealth of information. Also, if you if you're listening, if you um, if you listen through the web, our webpage or around the homestead podcast webpage, we'll link some of that information on our around the homestead podcast webpage as well. Because I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at on our website, we have a, a tomato disease symptom image library where you can get on there and you can look up these diseases and see what they look like and and kind of it'll tell you what what the cause is and what the treatment is on those. So it's a great re resource. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, I guess one final point that Sean pointed out, you know, as you're, you know, you've probably, if you're listening to this podcast, this time of year, it's late May, you've probably already planted your tomatoes already, but variety selection is, you know, key and very important when we're talking about, you know, 
plant putting plants in the ground whether it be tomatoes or whatever kind of thing you're growing in the garden variety selection is is really important um but uh, again uh, we encourage you if you're having tomato issues or any garden issues in general please contact your local county extension agent they'd be glad to help you um this kind of wraps up our issue uh, our our episode for today on around the homestead we hope that we wish you success in the garden um we'll be coming to you next week with another episode and we hope that you'll you'll check our uh, previous episodes out on our webpage. we'll see you in the garden we hope you have enjoyed this episode of around the homestead podcast to learn more about today's topic be sure to visit our website at uaex.uada.edu be sure to join us next time on around the homestead podcast